Hello, everyone. Hi. You are listening to CITR 101.9 FM, specifically the Arts Report on CITR. We are broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded ancestral and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Sarah Unju, and even though I am hosting, <laughs> you will not hear a single thing from me today because Lua and Silvana are carrying today's show. We're going to start off with Lua's interview that she did with Jim Smith, who is the artistic director of Dance House. If you have been listening this past year, you would know that Jim has been on the show before to talk about DigiDance, um, which is something that Dance House did with uh, multiple other companies within Canada to bring dance to people online. And now that COVID is a little better and we have vaccine passports and all that jazz, Dance House is back in person. So they will be talking about the upcoming season and the upcoming show of Dance House. And I believe they also talk a little about DigiDance's upcoming um, performance too, presentation. Because even though in-person shows are back, DigiDance is still continuing. So if you're not in Vancouver, but you really like Dance House, you can also check out DigiDance. After that, we have a lot of VIF reviews. If you don't know, VIF stands for the Vancouver International Film Festival. Lua and Silvana did a bunch of reviews for VIF. By the way, the reason I speak in past tense is because I am recording this from Turkey. Hello from the future. <laughs> um, but next week's show should be live. Don't worry. We are doing bi-weekly pre-recorded and live shows until I'm back in Canada. After that, we're doing live shows every week. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> Lua and Silvana have their VIF reviews for the rest of the show. So without further ado, I will leave you to the interview, some of the reviews, and then we have Adam PSA breaks, and then the rest of the VIF reviews, and then I will be back at the end to say goodbye. <laughs> Enjoy. Hello everyone, this is Lua, and today we're going to be talking about the Dance House 2021-2022 season, uh, with shows happening at the Vancouver Playhouse and the SFU Gold Corp stage from this October until May next year. And today here with me is the artistic and executive director of Dance House, Jim Smith. Hey, Jim, how are you doing today? Very well, thanks. It's a lovely dry day, you know, a beginning of a fall day here in Vancouver. So how bad can that be? I know I'm looking out my window and it's like, ah, it's sunny outside. It, yesterday was so cloudy. It's, it's true. It's nice to see the sun, always. Uh, especially in Vancouver. <laughs> and so... This season is going to have five different shows. One that's starting already two weeks from now, October 21st, Rubber from Rumber Band, which I'm particularly excited about. Uh, but I'd like to go into like a little preview or a little description of each of these shows, uh, just so we can get to know what should we be expecting for this season. Sure. Well, I maybe I should begin with a couple of, you know, overview type observations, uh, which is, you know, there's a pandemic that's been going on. So consequently... The season has taken a relatively unique uh, complexion, I would say. Uh, while we primarily focus on welcoming international artists uh, to Vancouver to sort of, you know, round up a rich presentation and local cultural scene, uh, with the pandemic being in place, we've had to take a bit more of a nationalistic uh, look. So there's a lot more Canadian work uh, that's being presented this year. And um, it's true, the first one that kicks off the season is on the 21st of October, and that's... Uh, a company from Montreal called Rubber Band performing a piece called a piece called Ever So Slightly, and I'll insert that you know we're uh, we, it feels only fitting um, that this be the very first piece that we present in the theater post the you know if you can say post the pandemic, hopefully post the height of the pandemic, in that um, Ever So Slightly was the first show that ended up being canceled as the pandemic. So there's um, some sort of bittersweet poetry I like to think that is. Uh, involved in uh, welcoming, uh, opening the season with rubber band dance. Uh, next up is a Toronto company called Red Sky with a work called Trace. Uh, Red Sky Performance is uh, an indigenous company all led by um, 
an Indigenous director and creative personnel. Uh, it will be at the SFU Gold Corp Center for the Arts, so not our usual location, which is the Vancouver Playhouse. Uh, then as we round into the new year, we uh, reach into the international realm, uh, welcoming a company called uh, Winter Guests from Norway. Uh, they'll be presenting a work called Story, Story, Die. This was actually a work that was planned for February of 2021, so this past February. However, in the era of the pandemic, it was uh, pushed forward by a year. And so we're welcome to be, uh, lucky to be able to welcome the company in this upcoming February. Then uh, as we hit March, again on the Canadian front and uh, actually quite local, uh, Kid Pivot with a return of their work Reviser. Uh, the company Kid Pivot is uh, based here in Vancouver and uh, much of their international touring and national touring activity has all been suspended. So they've been, you know, idling, paused on the side of the road is sort of the image that I always hang on to, waiting for the opportunity to uh, get back on tour and uh, take their work out into the world. And we're very lucky and privileged to be able to actually host the very first uh, presentation that will be uh, put on the stage of Reviser following the, you know, the break that's been uh, put upon the company as a result of the pandemic. And then finally, as we roll into May, uh, the 5th and 6th, we welcome a U.S. company from Los Angeles uh, called Body Traffic, uh, which does mixed repertoire. So uh, about three different pieces, four actually, as I think about it. And so um, there you have sort of the, the breadth of what we're doing in the theater. Maybe what I could also just insert is that um, uh, as a result of the pandemic last year, we also began an initiative called DigiDance. And this was done uh, in relation with uh, three other national partners, uh, Don Stance in Montreal, the National Arts Center in Toronto, the Harborfront, pardon me, the National Arts Center in Ottawa, and the Harborfront Center in Toronto. And the four of us came together and uh, offered uh, captures, video captures of uh, dance performances on demand. So that program is again running this year. The intention is for there to be four of those offerings. Only one of them is uh, been announced at this point in time, and that's company uh, uh, Deborah Coker, company De Danza Deborah Coker, which is a Brazilian-based company, and uh, a work of hers called Dog Without Feathers, which is actually available right now at this time. Awesome. I was about to ask if there was still any online programming happening. So, you know, I beat you to the punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's interesting. I, um, I just to respond a little bit. We, it uh, was a interesting learning experience going, developing the DigiDance program, recognizing it was all uh, with a bit of a gun to our head or a pandemic to our head, if you will. Um, and uh, what we recognized is that it allowed for accessibility in terms of people to be able to uh, participate in the dance presentation, you know, uh, digitally online, recognizing that you didn't have to necessarily be in Vancouver with a ticket and show up at that time. So we're very curious about continuing to explore a uh, digital environment, recognizing it will never take the place of the experience of sitting at a theater, you know, feeling the energy shift, being part of a performance and witnessing an experience with your own eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's great that you guys are keeping some of the online programming. I mean, considering the pandemic, it feels like it's over, but it's really not. Um, it's just great to have that alternative. Yep, I completely agree. And I, and I would say that as a programmer, it's, um, you know, it's true that there are productions, uh, companies that are of a scale or, uh, you know, uh, a size that we actually can't host here in Vancouver for a number of reasons, the limitations of the stage you know, technically that we have to deal with. Um, so there is an opportunity even further the programming range through the digital outlet. And uh, certainly in this upcoming year, we're certainly trying to explore that. That is, look at works that are potentially uh, challenging or difficult for us to be able to actually land in a theater, but try and bring that window on the world, the dance world, through the digital format. Mm -hmm. And um, there's all of these shows sound really great. I'm really glad that some of these are being brought back from when the pandemic started, because I feel that, for me at least, there was definitely a sense of like, oh no, like I was looking forward to these shows, and all of a sudden, like, I'm not gonna get a to see them. of it all. <laughs> yeah, and now I, like they're back, right? So you do get to see them. I think that that's really great. And I wanted to ask you: Are there any performances that you're particularly excited about? Uh, well, I so you know, of course, you're asking me to pick one of my children, <laughs> uh, which is difficult unto itself. But I would say that I'm, you know, personally just thrilled at the prospect of being back in the theater, and I'm curious to see if you know I, I expect others to sort of share that appetite. It's a chance to sort of, uh, you know, fall in love with that experience again of going to the theater and seeing a show. 
Um, I, you know, okay, so I... Hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I, it's a difficult yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, well, you're calling upon my best diplomatic skills here, I feel. But um, I, I have to say, I'm going to, you know, loop back a little bit to the sentiment uh, that I feel you were just expressing about, you know, um, you know, taking some delight in seeing some of the works that were cancelled uh, reoccurring or having the opportunity to be delivered on the stage. And and I guess that, you know, that would be the answer to my question, is that um, certainly with the case of Rubber Band Dance, which was a piece that literally, it was a week before the pandemic um, officially uh, shut down Vancouver and we needed to cancel the show in a week's time. And I, I have to say that, you know, there's a sense of losses. I just mentioned that, you know, you're letting down the community that you're serving, who is, you know, built up an, you built up an expectation. And of course, they've, you know, bought a ticket and they think that they're going to see this work. And also a commitment you've made to the artist or the company that you're going to present their work. So, you know, with that in mind, I, I feel particularly happy to be honoring the commitment that we made to Rubber Band Dance and to our audience who, you know, had an expectation to seeing it. And then I would also say the same is true of uh, Winter Guest and Red Sky, both of which were programs that were, and, and, and actually Body Traffic as well. All three of those are programs that were originally intended to happen in the past 2021 season, which of course went down. So I, with a nod of the head to resilience on everyone's part, I feel like those four shows in particular uh, hold a lot of resonance and a lot of meaning for me. Uh, so I look forward to you know each of them for you know their own unique special reasons as well, but certainly because it does sort of uh, you know signify or demonstrate that you know we shall overcome, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that makes. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm really excited. I think I believe I seen. Is this the first time Rubber Band is coming to Vancouver with the Dance House, or have they performed uh, here before? It's a it's a good question. So Rubber Band ha is not new to Vancouver audiences. I'd, you know, back up and even point out that Victor Cayeta, who's the artistic director of this company, and actually his uh, partner, Anne Fomendone, who has her own artistic enterprise and the work that she does, but they were both dancers with uh, Vancouver's Kid Pivot at one point in time. So both of those uh, artists have a relationship with Vancouver in that they were here for a significant period of time in terms of, you know, developing work, certainly being part of the community at that time. And then Rubber Band uh, has been presented on two different occasions at the Colch. And uh, it was a very, you know, a very happy and good fit. Uh, it was when Victor had decided that he wanted to take on work of a much larger scale. This uh, uh, ever so slightly is a, a work for 10 performers and two live musicians. So it required a larger space. And so the Colch, uh, Heather Redford at the Colch, my colleague, you know, very genuine, uh, generously, you know, turned to Victor and said, you got to talk to Dance House because, you know, you've, you need a bigger platform, a bigger space than uh, the Colch is able to support. So I, you know, I always like to give a bit of a nod to the head to, to Heather, just that, um, you know, the local presenting community, the local artistic community in general is very collaborative in many ways that has to be, but I just like to, you know, point out that's another example of how, we, you know, we work together to make sure that Vancouver audiences and the community has a chance to see work from elsewhere. Um, so that's a, a nice thing that's baked into it, I feel. Yeah, and that's great to hear. I believe I've seen Rubber Band before then, um, and they were incredible. Uh, and I've just watched the trailer for ever so slightly, and I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a really great performance. Um, they have a lot of really powerful energy. I would agree. And I, you know, uh, speaking to Victor's work uh, specifically, he very much has um, unleashed, almost feels like the right word. Uh, you know, he's taken uh, street dance and uh, applied it in an institutional environment of, you know, dance companies and uh, built a whole new vocabulary. And in many ways, I feel like he's, uh, you know, kicked down the door for a whole bunch of younger artists that were curious about, you know, that as their primary form and being able to sort of follow in the wake of the work that he's done. So it is a very physical piece. Um, and you see that on stage and there is a you know the the axis of the body shifts as you can imagine in uh, in the street dance. So it uh, it has its own sensibility and its own vibe and its own feel. So you know, kudos to Victor in terms of the work that he's doing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview with me today. It was lovely to hear more about the 2021-2022 season, and I'm excited to see it. <laughs> Glad to hear that, and uh, thank you so much for making a bit of time and space for us on your show. It's uh, always a pleasure to speak with you.
Awesome. Have a lovely day. Bye. Bye-bye. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. Old or New Testament? I think the New Testament. The question is, Pilate, remember Pilate from the New Testament? What does Pilate? He fiddled well. Yeah, no, well, just a minute. Let me ask the question, then you can give me the answer, okay? Did Pilate want Jesus to be crucified? Uh, 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 Pontius Pilate washed his hands of it. So did he want him to be crucified? Yeah. No. 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 Well, find a good church. It'll help you. Hey, everyone. This is Lua. And this is Ilvana. And we're going to talk about some other Viv movies like we promised last show. Yes, we will. I unfortunately did not get to see as many as I wish I would have. And but you saw so many, though. I saw so many, yeah. We will talk for a long time, so brace yourselves. Honestly, like, I thought I was going to see a lot more, but I ended up not. Um, yeah, honestly, I was a little disappointed with the ones I saw. Last, mm. well, not last year, but, like, the last time I really, like, dove, like, delve into Biff, I feel that I ended up choosing some, like, really great films. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, maybe I just got lucky. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe, I think this time around was just... Yeah, my selection was not my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, mm, we'll get into that. Um, I, myself, I'm like so happy that Viv Connect was um, an option this year because 80% of all the Viv content was just available on your computer. And over here, we just like projected it on the wall and, you know, made our own like cinematic experience work out for us. Um, and it's great if you want to watch movies, um, share it with someone that maybe is not, like, does not know what Biff is, is not into, um, I don't know, something like contemporary world cinema, but, like, wants to try it out and stuff like that. Um, it was honestly a super low barrier way to see, like, very good films from all around the world and from Canada as well. Um, but I only got to see one in-person film and i wish i would have seen more because it's definitely such a that's a different experience yeah it's a very different experience and i had missed going to the cinema during this covid year um but it was a great it was a great movie the one i saw i will talk about it later later friends um but today we want to start talking about azor and Azor is a movie part of the contemporary world cinema category, and Lua and I watched it from home. Do you want to start, Lua? Yeah. Okay. So the premise of Azor is um, I'm just gonna like read it out because I think it's a lot easier. But a successful uh, private banker disappears during the beginning of the dictatorship in Argentina in the 1980s. And his partner, like this Swiss person, uh, yeah, sorry, the bank is Swiss. Yeah. Um, Swiss and his banks, par- you yeah, know. <laughs> you know, Swiss like banks. where rich people send off their money or something. Um, and so his his partner inherits his clients, and he has to go to Argentina to like get his clients to like stay with the bank. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was. I thought like with that premise, I thought it was going to be such an interesting movie, like such. political drama yeah like a really fascinating fast paced and it was like the opposite of everything i expected (laughs) you know yeah it was definitely like as you just heard um it sounds really exciting i was especially drawn to the fact that it says um it uh well this character um 
draws clear lines between Swiss neutrality and the malevolent powers it efficiently waywinds for. And Swiss neutrality is something that I think is so interesting because Switzerland has managed to stay quote-unquote neutral during something like, I don't know, World War II or a dictatorship abroad. Exactly. And it's like, what does being neutral actually mean? And how is Switzerland benefiting or not? I will say, though, that Switzerland, the country did um sponsor the movie to a certain extent um so i think it's important self-reflection um very critical here's the thing i think Um, it's that fascinating film mm -hmm. it just wasn't the most entertaining film Mm -hmm. you know like you can have a good film that is entertaining and you can have a very entertaining film that isn't a good film yeah you know and this is one of those that is like it tells a really interesting story from a very interesting perspective um but it's just not constructed in a way that is super engaging. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so the approach that they take is very slow. Uh, the entire film feels like it's said in whispers. Like it's everything happens mm-hmm. behind closed doors, like whispered. And it's kind of like this insight into the very, very rich. And what happens yeah. to the when the very, very rich are disturbed. Yeah, and during how, the dictatorship, yeah. which is like, tells you who this rich people are basically yeah but like specifically like this like how the rich rich function right like Mm -hmm. these the way they conduct business isn't out in the open and loud it's like behind closed doors it's hushed it's Mm -hmm. like finding the these back doors for things that maybe aren't the best way to approach things but that's the way they're going to approach it you know because they can um Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it was interesting in that sense, but overall, just a little disappointing because I, I, I was expecting mm-hmm. a, a faster-paced film, and I think it took me until, like, halfway through the film to actually figure out what was going on. Yeah. Because sure. it just felt so confusing, and not confusing in a way of, like, ooh, I'm I'm curious what's mm-hmm. going to happen next. Confusing as, like, I have no idea what's happening yeah, right now. Yeah, it's, like, plot, question mark, and it's... Well, that's not the best experience to have when you're just trying to watch a film. So that did happen. Yeah. So mixed reviews. Mixed reviews. Mixed, reviews. mixed yeah. feelings. Mixed feelings. Yeah. But I appreciated, I don't know, the fact that they switched between like Spanish and French like all the time. Like that was pretty genuine. Um, They had really good accents as well. It was a very good um, representation of bilingual conversation. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. For real. Um, Yeah. But that's the only thing. Like, I think if you're interested in that world... Also, the other thing is, like, if you had that restore historical context, I think it would have been a much more fascinating film. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot... I had some historical context. Yes, I know of the dictatorship that happened in Argentina and kind of, like, what happened there and why it happened. But it's very, very broad. I don't have the mm-hmm. details of what happened. And I think that if... Maybe if I did, I think I would have been a lot more interested in this film. Uh, just because, like, I would understand what was going on from the very beginning, which I can't say. Yeah, <laughs> it just wasn't the case. So that's what happened with Azor, and yeah, it could have been better. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Okay, so now I think I'm going to switch gears and talk about a movie that I watched by myself. Um, this movie was in the category Gateway, and it's mostly made up of um, movies from Asia. So Asian movies from different places, different countries. Um, and the one I'm going to talk about is called Spaghetti Code Love. And I don't know, I thought it was a nice name. Um, I will say, spoiler, spoiler uh, even though, I mean, I guess Viv is over. But they did not like mention and or show spaghetti at any single point of the movie and i was like um okay i don't know if that's a spoiler <laughs> um yeah i was just like okay spaghetti cool and 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 i mean the code love um was that part of the title was really relevant um because the film was essentially um a big like compilation of um zooming into the lives of 13 different young people living in Japan, specifically in Tokyo. 
um, and it does raise um, questions about love, questions about loneliness, questions about um, what it means to belong and come of age in, I don't know, a digital age and an age in which like precarious um, jobs are out there for um, young people, sometimes letting them down. Um, it's out there it's out there for um, people to explore. Like it's a very interesting conversation about just like human bonds, I feel. Um, and so Japanese movie um, set in Tokyo, beautiful. It's just very beautiful, very bright colors, like very pretty cinematography. Um, I don't know. It was just aesthetic, you know, what can I say? It's just yeah, pretty, pretty. <laughs> it's pretty. It's very nice to watch. Um, and something very specific about the movie was that um, it showed the characters and it sh like had voiceovers of what they were thinking. So um, it's not just like showing snippets here and there, but it's also them like self-reflecting about all these things. And we learn about, um, I don't know, societal expectations for, um, I don't know, men in society. There's this guy that's planning out his life for a school paper, like a school, I don't know, project. And he's just thinking, oh, well, I want to be um, married to a woman that is um, three years younger than me. And then blah, 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 blah. And when we're old, um, and he just realizes, oh my God, when I am this age, she's also going to be old and that's not going to be good. And so he says, no, well, I'm going to, like, marry someone that's, like, 20 years younger. And then realizes that you can't really marry this person at the age that he wanted to marry her. Because she wouldn't have been born. And just stuff that it's like, what? <laughs> um, these, are, these are the ideas and these are the expectations that people are, like, just... Why is he so internalizing? Like, why, why is he so obsessed with my like? I don't know. And that was the storyline of this specific yeah, yeah, yeah. character. Kind like, of fucked up, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, in the air. <laughs> um, but but yeah. For instance, that was a really small one. Um, there were other um storylines in which more than one of the characters interacted and overlapped in different moments. For instance, there's this couple, and they look very picture perfect. Um, but the guy is really not sincere in their relationship. He actually doesn't really like her that much. He just thinks she's pretty. And she, on the on her part, like on the low low, is actually an escort. And um, he, this guy in this relationship also has an ex who um, is a musician and just like sings in the street with like a very old guitar and... I don't know. There, there's just this like weird. It's not a love triangle, but it's just like the interaction between the three—a weird dynamic where like each one of them is lonely in their own way, and each one of them ponder on what love and what attachment is. Um, and we eventually like think about this throughout the film and realize that love is something else. It is not attachment, and there are healthier ways of love. Um, and I don't know. Something else that I thought was super deep about the movie, and it was just like a, it was just a motif that came up more than once, um, in the lives of different characters, was this um, saying. I hope I can remember it right now, <laughs> but it was basically if a tree falls in the middle of a forest, and there's nobody else like mm -hmm. around to hear, Does is it really a make sound? a sound? Yeah. yeah and so like scientifically sound is a wave so if nobody perceives it it's not really a sound it's just a wave and so it talks about the insignificance that some people feel about um existing existing <laughs> yeah that's always uh, cheery yeah that was that part was like really uh, pretty deep I mean, um, I think that it might, it explores a lot of the like sensations of loneliness mm -hmm. and finding yourself through experience in your twenties, right? Like, yeah, trying to find your place, trying to find your community, trying to find where you fit into society. Yeah, not all of them were in their twenties. There were some um, that were like in the early thirties. Some of them were a little bit younger, um, like say high school. But it was definitely a very 
a very interesting motif that just kept popping up. There was this other guy that was an Uber delivery um, person. And Actually Uber or just like... Yeah, like Uber Eats. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, and he was just like, oh, I'm going to deliver all this stuff. And after this is done, he, he's going to forget about her. And this her isn't really a loved one. It's kind of like a an idol that he likes. I don't know, like, I'm not really familiar in, like, what she could be, but she's some sort of fam famous person that he's obsessed with. Fascinating. Um, and he's just like, I need to get over her. And it's just like, what? There's, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> there's you know? a lot to unpack there. Yeah, I was just like, why? Wow, okay. Do you, do you think that given that this movie follows, like, 13 different people, like, mm -hmm. it gives the appropriate time for you to kind of, like, explore each person? Or is it kind of like an overview of different situations? Um, I feel like it's more of an overview. There were some characters that were explored more deeply than others. Um, Say the, the one that was doing the school assignment was just doing that and that's it basically and then in the end he's just like oh you know what my plan is to not have a plan and then just grabs a skateboard and like goes down the street and that's his plot basically interesting um but other people like it does go like a lot deeper into what are your expectations what is love what is attachment um there's this lady that has a very um she she's she has a service job that she really hates um, but she's like, it's fine because when I come home, I can cook for my loved one and blah, blah, blah. But what we don't realize until later in the film is that she is actually like her lover and he actually has a family with a kid and with a wife. And this apartment where they were living and quote unquote being so happy together, like, is just Here's an extramarital yeah. affair. And, and it's kind of like, is that really what you're looking for? Is that love or is that really attachment? Man, this this film sounds like a, a slice of life, plural. <laughs> yeah, know, like, yeah, it really was. You're getting like a little bit of everyone Everything. and just be like, oh, okay, like experience a little bit of this. Yeah. That's it. it sounds really interesting. Yeah, it really draws you in, especially since you need to pay attention. You know, like be like, who are the characters? Who are we following? What is happening? And of course, read the subtitles. <laughs> But I think it was a really good movie. Definitely makes you ponder, like, in the middle of the movie. But in the end, you just kind of, like... It's kind of like a call to... I don't want to say call to action to sound, like, too political, but more, like, really reflect on what are your bonds, what is... Um, how does your belonging look like, um, and how does it work in this age of, I don't know, Twitter, in this age of um, Uber Eats jobs, um etc and yeah thought it was really good um if someone has the chance to see it spaghetti cold love um directed by takeshi maruyama very good thousands of opinions are at our fingertips but are all opinions informed does your information have a source is your social feed based on fact only facts can uncover the truth Professional journalists are committed to balanced and nonpartisan reporting, to independent commentary. They cut through the spin to give you the information and perspective you need. Journalism is essential to a democracy, a watchdog over the powerful, an independent voice. Journalism is more important than ever. When you purchase the latest TV, tablet, or smartphone, don't forget to do the right thing with your old ones. Recycle them. The Consumer Electronics Association and its members are making recycling your old devices as easy as buying new ones. Just go to greenergadgets.org, type in your zip code, and you'll instantly find the recycling location closest to your home. You'll also find recycling tips, like asking the store where you buy your new TV if they'll haul away your old one. Don't let your old tech tools clog your local landfill. Just visit greenergadgets.org. Okay, I think now we're gonna switch gears and <laughs> one more time, one more time, and talk about another category called insights, which um, is basically a, a documentary category. Yeah, um, and the documentary that we're gonna talk about is called The King of North Sudan. Super cool title, okay. I was drawn right into it. North Sudan, FYI, does not really exist. To be fair. <laughs> 
when I read The King of North Sudan, I thought it was going to be about the Sudan War, mm-hmm. right? Like, and talk about, like, the leaderships and, like... Yeah. And Except then, North Sudan is not a thing. It's yeah. just, like, Sudan and then South Sudan. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, we start the movie, and I'm like, why is this white dude on screen? <laughs> like, what what does this white dude have to do with anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I understood what the movie was about, and I was like, damn what? it. The entitlement. <laughs> I... Oh god. Okay. okay. What is the movie about, Sylvie? <laughs> so, um basically the movie, um, and I did not really get this from like the description because it eventually says like, oh, it's like uh, richly suggestive. This is a tale of American hubris uh, scale to the dimensions of one solitary man. And I was just like, What uh, what does America have to do with this? But I was like, Okay, whatever, I'll just give it a go. And so basically the king of North Sudan is this one guy <laughs> from Virginia that is basically like um, a father of like three kids. His youngest daughter is as many girls her age. Like, like oh, I want to be kid. a princess, you know. Well, she was a kid when all of this started, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and this like led into like many years. Yeah, yeah. The documentary spans years. Um, and so basically, yeah, it's like, I want to be a princess. And like, he gets to the task. He's like, well, I'm going to make you a princess. And he looks for like any piece of land that he can just like claim or buy question mark. Um, and basically he encounters this little piece of land right in the middle between Egypt and Sudan. And there is an interesting territorial conflict between Sudan and Egypt, in which Egypt recognizes one border and Sudan recognizes a different border. And there are two areas that overlap with each other. One of the areas is actually quite big and it has a lot of natural resources, but none of the two countries will just like grab it on and be like, this is mine, because then that would recognize the other's border and none of the two want to do that. And so the other piece of land, which is like, say, if Sudan takes the north part, um, then Sudan like technically would have the south part. Egypt like, takes the north part. And yeah, Sudan would and have. then like vice versa. Um, the part that this guy encounters is the like non-lucrative one. It's basically just deserts. It's like not too big. It's landlocked, whatever. But he just literally sees it As and grabs yeah. it. <laughs> so he basically sees this plot of land that is being disputed by two nations. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, no one has claimed it. Takes a plane from Virginia nowhere, um, brings a flag, and claims it as if he's stepping on the moon. Yep. Like, he literally like just puts the flag down, like does a pose, and I'm like, I'm the king of North Sudan. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? Question what? what? <laughs> like, what? why (laughs) um but the thing is like it's fascinating like you can't Mm -hmm. pull away from it because Because for all his entitlement and lack of understanding of politics and why this is like a bad thing to do and privilege and and, yeah absolute privilege like it's just fascinating to go into this man's world and his chase um to make this a viable nation of sorts, mm-hmm. right? So, like, the thing is, like, if it had stopped there, like, he claimed the land, and then his, his and daughter's then technically happens. a princess. Okay, fine. There would have been a movie, but it wouldn't have been that interesting of a movie. The thing is, like, he took it far. He took it really far. He yeah. applied for funding. He looked for funding in different places, like, mm-hmm. got a lot of it going on, and you really followed his um, multiple years of ventures of, like, yeah trying to make this an actual successful nation again objectively a bad idea from the very start yep but um fascinating story yeah so at the beginning um when he just like did the really spontaneous thing of claiming this is the kingdom of north sudan and he's the king um disney even offered like some sort of deal but then people um i mean they obviously objected and they were like, why are you literally like, why is Disney like financing the history of colonialism and basically like interventionism, American interventionism. Um, and of course they backed down, nothing really happened, but he 
is just so persistent and I feel like there's a difference um, between like, you know, perseverance, like actually like, you know, trying, working hard, doing this and just being stubborn. Yeah. Like being stubborn is very different. Um, and in this little like come and go, he says, oh, but like I can still do something with this country because he was like, if we don't have a government, then it's it can be a country like ran by corporations he's like we just can we just need investors we just need this we just need that and like no government needed lol and it's like bruh <laughs> of course everybody that he sees is just basically like well what happens if egypt does this what happens if sudan does this um what happens if the un um like comes in like what are the laws that are gonna apply like there's are just so so many questions but this man is just on it he's just well, going he, back he doesn't down actually have good answers for no. any of this he's just like really just like puffing his chest and being like well you know and going for it yeah um again white male entitlement i mm-hmm. i i can't even begin to fathom where well where it comes from yeah i can't yep. but <laughs> um it's just you can't go get away from it like you want to watch his story not because you sympathize with him necessarily or sympathize with his story mm-hmm. but because it's kind of like why would this like how does this even happen right like exactly. at the end of the day he just saw this piece of land in the middle of africa and was like you know what i'm gonna sell it it's not his in the first place to no. sell <laughs> like no like there is no no reason why he would be doing this and by the end like so many years have passed um his like kids have grown up his wife took a bunch of um the both financial and like time burdens um of like raising a family while he was just like trying to catch some investors in thailand or like um i don't know going and going for lunch in china or something like that trying to sell this idea to investors and by the end the girl is literally like oh i'm just over it i don't want to be like i'm over the princess thing and it just tells you how like wow that was it was that sporadic and is that a really like is this kind of like a parallel of the american dream is this like manifest destiny like at its finest um just see seeing land and taking it um we know it's a very important conversation to have here in canada and like essentially in all of turtle island and many other places around the world but yeah yeah the thing is like we 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 really we really focus this short review on like what the story is but like Mm -hmm. from like a film perspective um it's just a really well-made documentary yeah it tries its best to be unbiased like it does show kind of just like this dude's life without necessarily pointing to like ah this Mm -hmm. is bad this is good this is a good idea this is a bad idea there's no like real judgment no throughout the movie it's kind of just just... like this is what happened and this is what we make of it this is what we're saying here in the radio it's just what we made of it yeah and like they did show this perspective of like people being like hey this is like a bad idea and how it affected his family which i think is like the most the most relevant part for me in the documentary is like this man like was just so focused in his own idea of what he should accomplish mm-hmm. that he forgot that he had an entire family that <laughs> was basically neglected for years yeah and the his wife basically became a single mom because he wasn't there mm-hmm. um i will also say that this film also has a lot of twists and turns um, every time that I'm like, this man is done, something else happens that I'm like, how? How how does he Why? pull this? Um, incredible. In a f- terrible way, but incredible because I literally cannot believe it, you know? Yeah. But I don't know. I think it was a great watch. <laughs> it was a great watch. It um, was definitely a great watch. It was directed by Danny Abel and it's a USA, China, Egypt, Thailand um, documentary film so it was a fun watch if you want to definitely l- l- just learn about the story <laughs> i feel like it's so niche um but also think about what it means like 
what it means to make a country, like what um, a nation entails. Um, and just like think back to all the systems that we take for granted in a what we call country, real country, and all the checks and balances and just a lot that like makes a system work. And you can't just be like, just invest in my desert, please. Thanks. Saying my in like quotation marks, of course. But yeah, fascinating though. Bueno. And now returning to the vibe of contemporary world cinema, I will talk about a film that I watched last night, less than 24 hours ago. <laughs> um, and it was my last VIF film of this, of this 40s um, VIF. But not the last one we will be talking about today. Oh, no, not the <laughs> last one. I want to finish with the one that I watched in person, so stay tuned. Um, and so this movie um, is an Argentinian movie called The Siamese Bond. So in Spanish, it's called Las Siamesas, like, you know, Siamese cats. Um, and like, these are, these are not twins, like essentially what it's like, what the, the, the people that the movie follows is a mother and a daughter. And the film, honestly, I feel like it's most telling in the dialogue and really what like where the movie is set is mostly a buzz <laughs> so this mm, this woman um i don't know i think she's in her like say 40s or 50s um is gonna go to the coast in argentina because um her father who i don't know clearly wasn't wasn't um close to her and basically had a bad marriage with um, her mom, um, basically passed away and left her two apartments in this beach town. And she's gonna figure out what to do with them. Um, but the film just follows, like, captures the interactions between this mother and her daughter. And we see how it's a relationship of, yes, love, but also but also abuse and also um a lot of unsolved trauma <laughs> and a lot of unsolved issues in general um so the mom is just very she's very anxious she's just very scared of a lot of things she keeps thinking that she's gonna get robbed so when they're live leaving the house she's like oh we gotta close all the doors we gotta um do this do that do that um to not get robbed for, like to not so for the house um to protect the house and then once they're in the bus she's like we have to do all this like to not get robbed and then when they stop she's like we gotta do this to not get robbed like stuff like that and that just keeps um popping up and she's scared of them being the two alone which actually that part is really really understandable because unfortunately in many places in the world including um latin america there is a high risk of violence against women um and being the two of them by themselves especially with, with um the mother being very frail in terms of health um and just also being super picky <laughs> um makes her feel like they're vulnerable and so even though there's love and there's um well some sort of love there is a tension there is um mom did you take your pill there's like stella is the name of um the main character and it's like stella um um i hope like i don't want anything bad to happen to you and like between all these like little moments of tenderness there's just a lot of very crude um i don't know interactions um it's it's the very like mother daughter that don't get along but still love each other kind of relationship yeah but it's like yeah but it's also like just really dense in the part of the hate like it's there's one point in which the mom just like blurbs out stuff about the dad because she like clearly hates him so much but then 
she doesn't realize how much how much like Stella um suffers when she hears all this, um and the mom is basically like, you owe all this to me because like I wanted to have you and like your dad didn't your dad just left, and she is so hurt and she is like mom why are you so mean to me she literally says this in the movie, and and it's just really really sad, um and so. It's just these moments of dialogue throughout, like, a very whatever trip. They're going by bus. Um, It's winter in Argentina, so it's, like, very rainy. There's not much going on. There's no sun. Um, I don't know. It's dark. Um, But you learn a lot about the characters. And, yeah, eventually something happens with the mom where they can't find her. Um, they're, they're stopped in the road. Um, there's, I don't know, some mechanical failure in the bus. And the mom is just basically, oh, I don't want to stay inside. And then she kind of don't doesn't want to go outside either. I don't know, she's complicated like that. And she goes off by herself for a moment while Stella is hurt. Um, so she's not paying attention to her. And they can't find her. They can't find her. And you know how it's like, oh my god, this character is so annoying and like makes me so angry. But at the same time, it's like, oh no, now you're in this position where I'm like forced to sympathize with you. And it's like, kind of don't want to, but I do want you to be found. Um, so it's kind of like, ugh, tugs at you. But that's kind of how Stella feels, right? Um, it's this person that you're kind of stuck with. Um, and you are so annoyed by them when you're with them, but at the same time you would do whatever to find them. And you would do whatever to like keep them well. So it was very interesting, very um very tense, I feel, movie. Um definitely didn't expect to watch it like so late at night. I was just like, oh my god, this is so much tension, like right before going to bed. Um but I think it was a good movie it was very well acted um a little bit slow but you just have to really pay attention to the interactions and the characters and for me it was really engaging because it was a like it wasn't spanish and that's my first language so i was for sure like getting everything um and yeah i just thought it was a very interesting film um and that was the Siamese Bond, directed by Paula Hernandez. Okay, and finally, I will talk about the worst person in the world, <laughs> JK. Um, I mean, not really. But... <laughs> uh, not really. If you thought about someone, I mean, that's just that's just your bias, I guess. But that's just the name of the last movie I'm going to talk about in this very very nice this show um which is a film uh, that's part of the special presentations by Viv. um the special presentations are like very coveted <laughs> um there were only a few of them that were available in Viv connect so i did watch this one in person i watched it at the vancouver playhouse and it was really cool, really fun to see it in person and just share it. You know, when you hear people laugh in like the room and it's just, it's just nice going to the cinema. Um, it's too bad I don't have time for it all the time. But it was um, a very nice experience. I also really wanted to watch um, another special presentations movie called Memoria. But, oh my god, it was sold out so quickly, so I did not even get a chance to go. And I was really, really excited to watch that. I couldn't, but it's okay. Because I watched the worst person in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the film is a collaboration between Norway, France, Sweden, and Denmark. But it is set in Oslo. And I will say the two Norwegian films I watched were very good at VIF this year yeah like props to Norway props props um and this film about the worst person of the world um is basically following Julia with which is 
this, um, I don't know, I think 28, 29 year old um, woman uh, that lives in Oslo. And the film is, I don't know, it has a very nice pace because it literally says this film has a prologue, 12 chapters and an epilogue. And you're just basically like, oh, okay, is this a book? Um, and so in the very beginning, it introduces Julia. Julia's like kind of an indecisive person. Um, she's a really good student. She studies, she's studying medicine, um, has, I don't know, um, very long, nice um, blonde hair. And she's a good student, but she kind of doesn't really like medicine. She doesn't enjoy it. And so she tells her mom, oh, I think I'm gonna switch to psychology. And her mom is like, you know what? You do it, Julia. Do what makes you happy. And so she, like, transforms herself. She, like, cuts her hair, like, paints it red. And it's, like, psych major now. And then she's like, mm, no, I'm not interested in that anymore. <laughs> and tells her mom, like, no, I think I'm into photography. And her mom is basically like, uh, well, I hope you're serious about this. Um... And so she changes her, her hair again. Like, now she, it's now it's brown. And it's basically, you know, like, you can tell that she's, like, a really indecisive person. But at the same time, a lot of people are in their 20s. Um, eventually, through um, exploring photography, she meets this um, cartoonist. Um, and he is, like, I don't know, like, 15 years older than her. Okay, that's not too bad. Uh, it's not too bad, no. But, like, <laughs> definitely they're in different stages of life. Yeah. And after their first encounter, they kind of do say that to each other. It's like, he's like, oh, like, you know, you're so young. You're basically just figuring yourself out, blah, blah. Like, I'm in my 40s. Like, there's all this, blah, blah. But they still like each other, so they continue. And they, they then they move in together and all this. But Julia's just kind of, like out and about she's still a little confused about life not just in like what she wants to do for a living but just in general there's just a lot of expectations that fall into her when she's like dating someone that's 40 has like friends that have all kids already and like there's all these expectations and julia's just kind of like ah, like i kind of don't want that i kind of don't want kids um and there's just a lot of um exploring julia um, throughout not just like her relationships but just um, being out and about um, in Oslo meeting people um, doing stuff that are a little bit like I don't know she likes stirring the pot I will say <laughs> with certain things like there's this scene in which she crashes a wedding um, and she's just like chilling um, meets this other guy and they don't cheat but they basically spend the whole night together like saying that they're not gonna cheat with each other <laughs> and doing just weird things and being like oh well smelling your sweat isn't cheating <laughs> something like what? that okay, um, yes yeah, sorry watching <laughs> each other pee isn't cheating <laughs> stuff I mean, like I that guess. which is so weird i mean technically i but, I guess question but there's mark? like emotional cheating is a thing you know like exactly so it's like I feel like the title of the worst person in the world it's more like when you're in your 20s or early 30s and you make mistakes and you feel like the worst person in the world and you kind of are the worst person in the world like why would you be like fooling around with some sort of dude that you like met crashing a wedding party for instance like that kind of makes you the worst person in the world but at the same time, like, there's so many things about life that aren't, like, you haven't figured out. And there are so many things that are falling on, like, on you at the same time. That Julia's just trying to figure it out. She's literally trying to figure it out. Um, and so throughout, like, the other chapters, she writes this one, like, opinion article that's, like, very feminist. Um, uh, and... I don't know, it goes around the internet and people are like, oh, like you should write, blah, blah, blah. But for the rest of the movie, she's most she mostly just works um, at a bookstore. So after dropping out of medicine and psychology and kind of like photographing stuff on the side, um, she's just like working out of the bookstore. 
Um, and there's just a lot that she's still figuring out. Um, and I don't know, I will say the chapters aren't, aren't cohesive. Some of them are longer than others. There's one, for instance, um, that's like very specifically about like something that has to do with like this 40 something boyfriend by then his, her ex um that is <laughs> is gonna be translating into a movie um and the person just like i mean her ex basically has this interview that gets super super messy and the chapter is just like bobcat ruins christmas <laughs> Um, or crashes Christmas, something like that. Bobcat is the cartoon that um, this guy used to draw. Um, and yeah, there are some that are just like snippets like that, and some others are very, very special. Um, there's one that's called Bad Timing. And she, she basically um, comes out of her room and... Her boyfriend um, tells her, oh, there's some coffee. And she's like, yeah, okay, thanks. She turns on the light and everything stops. So in the screen, like in the movie, everything stops. And she's the only one that's moving. And she decides to just run and go meet the guy that she met at this wedding. And she sees herself just like spending the whole like night with him. Like just walking around Oslo, just doing stuff, the two of them. And that's when she realizes eventually, like, when the world is, like, you know, not in pause, um, that she has to break up with this guy. Um, and so, I don't know, it has a very nice pace. It has a very, like, it has very good comedic moments. I will say the whole um, theater was laughing at certain points. I definitely did. Um... There's a little bit of like cheeky moments. There's some um, inappropriate like things that just make you, you know, chuckle. <laughs> um, but it's overall very heartwarming because even though you make your like you make a lot of mistakes and you make right decisions that sometimes feel terrible, um, you're still figuring yourself out and you're not always the worst person in the world when you make mistakes or when you put yourself first. Um, so I think that's a big takeaway from the film. Um, and yeah, I just really enjoyed it a lot. Um, it was super, super fun. The actress was really good. I heard that she won like Best Actress at Cannes. I'm not entirely sure, but that's what I heard. And like, good for her, you know? Um, it was really fun fun film to watch also looks beautiful also <laughs> also Oslo mm, get it um yeah I enjoyed it a lot and I'm really glad that I was able to watch it in person for special presentations um and if you have the chance of watching it some other day some other time um I hope I didn't spoil too much but I recommend you do I don't know. I feel kind of sad that Viv is over now. What am I gonna do with my time? Um, work. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep? Sleep. Maybe. I don't know. It was so much fun. Um, thank you to everyone at Viv. Thank you to CITR for letting us watch all these fantastic Viv movies. Um, and yes. I hope you tune in next week. I know there's like at least one more VIF review. Um, and I don't know. New and exciting content that isn't necessarily... Um, all movies. All movies, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we review other things as well. Um, but I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoyed VIF if you caught any of the movies. And stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye. Say bye, Lua. Bye. <laughs> That was my brother saying welcome back to all of you. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, that's the end of our show. I hope you enjoyed all of that. And we will be back at 5 p.m. next Wednesday. So until then, have a lovely day. This episode is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada's Radiometers Program.
Hello, you are tuned into Research Review on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded territory of the Musqueam people at UBC. My name is Ali Rodameri, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Gurman Gill. Each week on Research Review, we interview a researcher who is affiliated with the UBC community and discuss some of their latest work and findings and how they relate to broader issues in society. Today, we'd like to welcome Dr. George Beliveau to Research Review on CITR 101.9 FM. Dr. Beliveau is department head and a professor in UBC's Department of Language and Literacy Education and also cluster lead of the research-based theater cluster. So thanks for joining us today. Delighted to be here. So, Gurman, do you want to start us off with some uh, questions? Yeah, could you maybe start by telling us a bit about your educational path and what sort of led you to like research-based theater as a field? Sure. So if I, if I take a few steps back and um, I did an undergraduate degree in, in acting and theater at Dalhousie University. So I trained to be a, a professional actor, performer, which I did pursue at, at different points in my life. Um, but immediately after my acting degree, I jumped into a teaching degree.